Oh, yeah. That's right. Good morning, everybody. How are all of you? <laughs> it's just me, Mr. Braun, here coming to you from the Forge River Peninsula in Moriches, not Longwood High School, <laughs> yet again. Um, let me see if I can, I'm going to keep that in the background because we're going to be today talking about Colonial America. <laughs> yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so you got back your DBQs with a whole bunch of notes. Um, some of these are doing really, really well. A lot of these are very close. Uh, I, I tried yesterday to do a, uh, to make like a bit of a screencast, um, which I'm, I'm going to do it eventually. Um, but I was running into problems. <laughs> I just didn't want to buy the premium one for $50. I'm not even going to lie to you. Although I may just end up doing that. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, while I was in the middle of doing that, uh, as I'm recording these five minute segment segments, I hear my wife in the kitchen start screaming and cursing because, uh, our oven stopped working. It just stopped. So then, you know, had to deal with that. So I am going to, uh, hopefully by the end of the day today, definitely by the end of the day today, I'll figure out how to send you, um, some more segments with, with ways to, uh, show you different things that you had done and like just how you're you're missing it a little bit. I know for a lot of you, I put different comments in on just different ways to get points that you might be missing out on. Okay, let's just quick, before I get into the slideshow, which is uh, the 2020 Road to Revolution, let's, uh, I wanna get into just some different tips for you to be able to do better with uh, writing your essay. So go to your, uh, five Steps to a Five review book, okay? Um, as far as I know, all but one person has it. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to go by this. Uh, I'm very, very sorry to the one person who doesn't yet have it. Uh, I did see, actually, that you can buy a digital version of it for $4.99. Um, but, you know, that's that's all. It's up to, up to you. Okay, if you look in the book and you go to page 68... All right, uh, you have, so I'll give you a second, book. The pages are, you're going through the pages, very nice. Okay, so you go to the book and you look at page number 68 and 69, uh, you're gonna see document-based question, right? Just different ideas of how it is that you're going to write the DBQ. Now, obviously, in here it talks about how to get a seven. Ours is a little bit different. In here it talks to you about a 60-minute time limit. Okay, where you're supposed to have 15 minutes to organize and then uh, 45 minutes of writing. Your whole time limit now is 45 minutes. So again, it's a little bit different. Okay, so what is it that you're going to, to do now? Why am I pointing you to this? Okay, in my opinion, the best part about this is page 69, the useful hints for the DBQ, okay? On here, you've got some areas in uh, bold, right? Beware of the skills needed for the DBQ. Use the standard essay format, all this kind of stuff. Okay. One thing that I want to, I, I would really, really, really strongly recommend that you do, okay, is read through this page and a half or about a full page as you go on to page number 70, okay? For a bunch of you, I keep on telling you uh, certain things that I'm going to go over here, 
I, it's, it's true. I'm not, I'm not really not just making this up. Okay. So if you look at, you know, the skills that you need, okay. The biggest thing, right. It says that they're, they're really just trying to test a couple of things for you. It says DBQ is going to focus on one of the following historical analytical skills, right. Identifying cause and effect. That is the biggest one. All of history is cause and effect. So if you can figure that out, what's the cause here? What's the effect? You got it. In the Great Depression DBQ, okay, the cause was the depression. So you talk about that, right? Then you have the reaction to it, okay? That was what Franklin Roosevelt did with his New Deal plan. What is the effect? The effect was kind of up to you. That was the big question for you. Did he do a good job? And then what happened to the federal government as a result of it? So that's kind of like the big thing that's put on you, all right, is to identify that. The next essay that you're going to have is, again, going to be a cause and effect, and it's going to focus on the American Revolution, okay? We'll get to that in a little bit. Then, you know, use the essay format. Of course, you always want to start off with a thesis, and then you're going to support the thesis. Your thesis is your argument, okay? Again, I, I think I said this last time. A thesis is so simple, but I feel like when people hear the word thesis, it's like you just want to crumble up in a ball and run away or roll away, I guess, if you're a ball. I'm a ball. Oh, no, I cannot run. My legs do not work. They're crumbled up inside of me. <laughs> okay, anyway, um, you want to, you know, just like roll yourself away. Look, a thesis is an argument, and a lot of you are really good at arguing. Uh, I know that firsthand with some of you, okay? So, again, think of it as in simple terms of like this. Hey, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Oh, it's struggle chip cookie dough? Tell me why. Tell me why that flavor is better than any other flavor. And, you know, you say, oh, my God. Well, it's, you know, delicious dairy amazingness known as ice cream. And then you mix cookies, which everybody loves cookie dough, even if it might give you some kind of salmonella poisoning. Um, but if you could put the cookie dough deliciousness inside of the other deliciousness, you've got deliciousness squared. And, I mean, who wants more than that? So you, it's the same thing. Your thesis is just your argument, and then you back it up, okay? You support it with the documents and your own information. It says you don't have to use all the documents. Yes, that's true. You want to use four. Some of you, for the last one, uh, Kyle Larker, uh, you know, you said this in the Google Meet, even though there are only four other people besides you and I present. Um, you know, you, your essay is seven pages long. That's great. And it was a great, 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 great essay. But what I want you all to do is practice using four, Okay. Four documents. Make sure this next essay, I'm not going to have you time yourself. You're going to time yourself in the one I'm going to give you on Monday. Okay? So make sure that your essay is, uh, I don't want it to be more than three pages. If it's more than three pages, you got a problem because you're not going to be able to replicate that. Plus, it's only four documents, right? So, you know, you don't really have to go all that crazy. Uh, you do not need to keep writing on and on and on. This is so true. A lot of you do this. Uh, and I've given, you know, I gave you all your individual notes on your essays and uh, I would really, really, really strongly recommend that you try and think about what you want to write before you write it. You know, it's just like when you're talking, when you're speaking, if you think it out, it's going to be a better product. Okay. And then there must be logic to your answer. Now, the big one, big one on page 70, don't waste time with direct quotes from the documents. Don't do it. Don't do it. Stop quoting documents. Stop copying out of documents. I know what the documents say, right? The person who's reading your essay knows what the documents say. When we go and train on grading these things, they say that when somebody, when a student uh, copies the document, they're using it as a crutch and it's not good, 
okay? So you do not want to do that. Instead, explain the essence, explain the meaning of the document. We're gonna go through that with the documents we're going to go through in a little bit, okay? Uh, and, and then look, I, I've, I've written this on the board. I said it in the last podcast. Answer the question, you know? A, T, D, Q. Answer the damn question. If you don't answer the question, you don't get your point for thesis. If you don't get your point for your thesis, you also cannot get other points where you are supporting a thesis. So it is very important to answer the damn question, okay? All right, that's it for that, okay? Now, if you go in your pages, <coughs> excuse me, oh, oh no, he's coughing, you know, somebody euthanize him. <laughs> Okay, if you go in your book to page 100, you're going to see Resistance, Rebellion, and Revolution. Okay, I have also, or I'm going to, but you'll see it as being there already, share the 2020 Road to Revolution um, slideshow with you, okay? So here are your resources. 2020 slideshow. Uh, this, I guess you'd, it says chapter 9. Uh, it's really like the first chapter as far as information goes. Uh, for curriculum in your book, but on page 100, okay, through page 106, that is going to be basically the information for you, okay? Seven pages, really not that bad. I am also sharing with you your assignment, okay? Your assignment is to complete the 2017 United States History Free Response DBQ question, Okay. Now, the link that I have here, it's all of the 2017 free response questions. So for this one, what I want you to do, and you can open this up now if you'd like, um, go down to page eight. The first few pages are just introduction and ins instructions. And then you have the short answer questions that were all part of this 2017 test. Uh, I graded this DBQ. Uh, I believe, if I remember correctly, I graded something like 1,700 essays. Uh, I'm also going to tell you, it, it, it was, so I've been grading for the college board for nine years. This is my least favorite one I ever did. So I must be some kind of a masochist, right? That here I am going to say to 55 people, hey, write it, write it, write it. Let's do this. Let's do it all over again. I hated this essay and I hated this essay because of the stupid teapots on page, uh, on the first page document one that not one single kid could understand and identify the meaning for it, the reasoning why they decided to put these uh, teapots here. So I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge my own sanity. And I'm not going to tell you what the purpose of the teapots are. Instead, we're going to listen to some revolutionary music. You ever think they got tired of playing the same song? I mean, you know, songs now are what, like two to four minutes long? These guys are still... All I did was turn the volume up. We are now 11 minutes in, and they're still playing the same tune. Uh, anyway, okay. I'm not going to tell you about these pots, but I am going to tell you about some of the other documents. Um, the pots I'm going to leave to see. This is a challenge. Figure it out. Okay. The essay that you're going to be writing, very simple. It says, evaluate the extent, extent of change in ideas about American independence from 1763 to 1783. Okie dokie. 1763. We start off. It is the ending. 
the ending of the French and Indian War. Yeah, the ending of the French and Indian War. You know what? I'm also going to put my notes in here on the French and Indian War uh, that we went over early in the year. I'm not going to spend too much time now going over it because we're already 12 minutes in and I don't want to just give you too much. Um, unless if you guys send me a thing where you'd like for me to do another cast where I'm going over it, I'll add one later on today. Um, you know, total request live, TRL. Uh, <laughs> I'm going crazy being in my house right now. Anyway, um, so when it says evaluate the extent of change in ideas about American independence, this is cause and effect. They're telling you, right, read between the lines here. There is a change in ideas about American independence. Evaluate the extent. How much does it change, right? That's the question. Hey, from this time period, from the ending of the American Revolution, I'm sorry, from the ending of the French and Indian War in 1763 to the ending of the American Revolution, which takes place in about 1783, what was the change in ideas, okay? Look, spoiler alert, by 1783, we're winning the revolution. What do you think? People are going to be all upset about it. Oh, no, we're so unhappy we fought in this revolution. Or are they going to feel happy, right? Um, yeah, ideas are going to change. We win. We get our independence. It's a rocky road to start, okay? Just like anything, as you'd assume, right? When you go off and you go to college or, you know, you move out of your parents' home or whoever it is that you live with and you're on your own, you're independent, it's a great feeling, yeah, it's not going to be easy at first. All of a sudden, oh my God, my cell phone bill is, you know, $100 a month. What the heck is that? Oh my God, I got to pay for my own car insurance, my car payment, rent, all these other things. Whoa, food actually costs money. Yes, kids, food costs money. Um, all these things, right? And so it's great, but then there's also new challenges that are going to come with it. So what they want to know is what's the change about uh, ideas in American independence from that time? Okay, so... Here we go, right? Um, let's, let's, you know what? Before we get into the documents, let's go and, and I'm going to go through the notes with you, okay? Because they do kind of mirror one another. All right, so we got the Rhodes Revolution. Uh, your first slide here, what was the American Revolution inevitable? You know, um, probably not, but whatever. We don't have to concern ourselves with that. Here's some good information. Okay, the Sugar Act, the Stamp Act, and the Quartering Act. Okay, so... If you go through, right, from the book, page 100, 101 starts off with the ending of the French and Indian War. Then in page 102, you have the British need for money, okay? Now, what I would recommend is you pause this right here, okay, here. Pause for music. Still playing the same song, okay? So you uh, pause this right here, okay, and read this, page 102, right? King George III. He hires this guy named George Grenville. George Grenville goes and he says, all right, well, we just protected the colonies from the French. We fought the French and Indian War, right? Because basically American colonists, they were moving west of the Appalachian Mountains. They moved into the Ohio River Valley. Oh no, there are French there. There are Native Americans there. And so we ended up getting attacked by them. The British, they send over their armies to protect the colonists who were not very good at protecting themselves. And so you have a war, the French and Indian War. Now, the British and the French, if you recall from last year, during the 1700s into the 1800s, they didn't really like each other very much anyway. So kind of like a reason to fight against the French. Britain wasn't too uh, outraged about it. Okay. Now, they need money. 
some, they're going to start passing all different kinds of taxes, okay? They're going to pass the Sugar Act, okay? The Sugar Act, they want to get money. That's it. All these taxes, all these acts, they want money. Uh, you've got the Stamp Act. It was the first tax that was only put on the colonists, okay? Uh, Stamp Act you can read about on page 103. And then you have the Quartering Act. Now, the Quartering Act is what really was a true invasion of the colonist privacy, okay? What happens with the Quartering Act is you had to allow soldiers to live in your home. It was a law, okay? This is why, later on, we're going to have things like when we write up the Constitution, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison are going to say, okay, okay, okay. We have a constitution which explains how a new government's going to be, but let's just protect ourselves from another autocratic or dominating, domineering government. And so they come up with the Bill of Rights. The Third Amendment, okay, I'll say this again, the Third Amendment ends the Quartering Act. If you're going to write about the Quartering Act, and I do suggest you do this, write about how much it outraged them that freedom of speech, religion, that's one, right? Amendment number one. Right to bear arms, right, to really protect yourselves. I mean, when you're talking about getting a gun to protect yourself, you're, I mean, you're, you're in like, that's it. That's it. If you need a gun to protect yourself, all else has failed. So that's number two. Number three is the Quartering Act. So how important was it to them? After our freedom of speech, right, our freedom to be our own people and say what we want to say and do what we want to do and frankly be who we want to be, after that is guns for protection and after that is hey don't put up your damn soldiers in our homes we don't like it so this was a really 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 important thing and something that the people hated okay you also see on page 103 you have the reference to the sons of liberty if you're looking along with your slides presentation okay you'll see tarring and feathering um you know it's pretty nasty stuff if uh let me see a little drink here if you really, if you're more of a visual learner and you have HBO or, you know, you can find this on the internet somewhere, there is a really good miniseries called John Adams. Um, it's probably about 10 years old now. And in that, uh, they show a scene of a guy getting tarred and feathered. It's either in like the second or third episode. And uh, I don't show it in school because they strip the guy down naked. They put hot tar on him. And they feather him, right? So tarring and feathering, this was like a way of totally, totally humiliating and embarrassing somebody, okay? <clears throat> That's tarring and feathering. Humiliation and embarrassment. And who are they trying to humiliate and embarrass? Tax collectors, okay? Employees of the British government. This is where you start to have a division occur, Okay, so let's think back to our question now. See, so the way I'm doing this is I have my book in front of me. I got my Chromebook in front of me. And I'm going back and forth between the tabs of Road to Revolution. Let's hear some music. Yeah. Okay, and <laughs> it's so terrible. And the prompt. All right. So, you know, once again, you look at it and it says, you know, evaluate the extent of change and the ideas of American independence. I mean, my goodness, once we have the Sons of Liberty organized in 1765, you have a group of people whose only job, their only purpose is to fight against Britain's authority. I would say that that's a change in thinking, right? Um, 
You know, in, in 1770, and we're going to get to the Boston Massacre, <clears throat> but in 1770, John Adams, he's a lawyer in Boston, Massachusetts, and he defends, he defends the British soldiers who were uh, being held and accused for murder of uh, the, the colonists at the Boston Massacre. John Adams is their defendant. Okay, he is their, he is their lawyer, not the defendant. He's a, he is their representation. He goes on to be a founding father, a revolutionary, a guy who gives tremendous speeches against the British, and a second president of the United States. So, you know, right there, there is a, an example of somebody who totally changes their ideas. Okay, getting back to uh, our slideshow presentation. So that's tarring and feathering, uh, you know, violence put towards these people. Uh, really just a heinous, heinous crime. Uh, the Boston Massacre takes place March 5th, 1770. Okay, this picture that you have right here of the Boston Massacre. All right, you can see it just, you know, I, I remember I pointed out to this to you earlier in the year, so I'm not going to dwell upon it. Uh, the little doggy that's put in the front there. Um, really, this is to try to raise emotions to have people against the British. There they are in line. They are, you know, just firing into this crowd. Is that the way it went down? Uh, probably not. You know, we talked to the kids throwing snowballs, uh, kind of harassing the soldiers. And then, you know, soldiers are young. They're 18, 19 years old. They're frustrated. They don't want to be here. And so we have the Boston Massacre. You can read more about the Boston Massacre on page 104, okay? Um, it's a, it's a pretty good thing. Now, one thing that is not, I don't, I don't believe I saw this in here. No. Okay, good. That is the Gatsby incident. One of my more favorite things to talk about because it really is kind of lesser known, but it just shows the level of hatred that existed uh, by the time this is taking place, okay, in 1772, two years after what happened in Massachusetts. So the Gatsby incident, um... You know, the Gatsby is a ship. Uh, it's like a, basically, you know, it's a British ship that is put in charge of stopping or doing whatever they can to deter uh, colonial um, smuggling. Okay, so they're chasing this ship called the Hannah. Uh, and while they're chasing this ship into and near Providence, Rhode Island, uh, they run aground. The captain of the ship... Um, I believe his name is uh, Duddingston, yeah, Lieutenant Duddingston. Um, he said, you know what? We're not going to be able to get out. We're going to wait for high tide. So they're just kind of chilling there. While they're hanging out there, remember, you have townspeople from Rhode Island because they're, pretty, they're, they're right on the coast. They see this. They get into their own little boats. They go on board the ship. One of history's great ironies, one of the people who leads this is a guy named John Brown. Um, you know, not the same John Brown who is going to uh, be a big part in uh, you know, the Civil War taking place. There's a different guy, but you know, John Browns. If you know anybody named John Brown, they may be a problem. Um, anyway, so this John Brown, he goes, he's, he's with other guys who by this time, we've got Sons of Liberty, not just in Boston, but all throughout the Northeast. And it's, you know, the word is traveling. Uh, so they go, they go aboard the ship, they shoot the captain, right? They shoot the lieutenant, and, uh, and this just becomes really just uh, another great example of, uh, of, of hatred towards the British, right? 
they were trying to enforce something called the Navigation Acts. Navigation Acts basically said that the, the colonists were not allowed to trade with the Dutch, only with the British. So if we were buying anything from the Dutch, buying anything from the French, that would have been considered smuggling, okay? Um, so yeah, so there, there you have that. They burned the ship to the waterline, and again, just another example of a lot of violence. Okay, uh, we have the Committees of Correspondence. So the Committees of Correspondence comes about uh, sometime, you know, between 1770, 1773. You can read about this on page 104 in a little bit more detail. Um, but yeah, so their whole idea was kind of revving people up, right? Trying to get them very excited about the possibilities of American independence and what that would mean. Let's hear for it. Man, that guy with that flute. Does he ever take a breath? Or she? No, I mean, the drum stops and the flute keeps on going. All right. So, community correspondents, they wanted to get the word out. Hey, we got to let people know how bad Britain is and so on and so forth. As it says in the slide here, brought in the resistance movement, okay? As it says in uh, on the book on page 104, Committee of Correspondence quickly spread across Massachusetts throughout the colonies. They provide an essential organizational framework for American resistance to British policy. So look, you know, back this is not 2020. This is the 1700s. There's no social media. There's no phone. No phones exist. No telegram. No telegraph. Trying to spread word when you have well, about 1.2 million people across all the colonies. So our population is much less dense than it is now. Trying to spread information, really, really, really difficult. Okay? Um, so it, it took a lot more time. Okay. The Tea Act. This is 1773. You may remember on the board, I wrote this down when I went over this with you the first time. The T Act was debasing. This is what is going to. So, at first, this is like, you know, who's in the Sons of Liberty? Lower class guys, right? People who are willing to kind of put themselves on the front line, not business owners. The T Act, oh boy. So, you have the British East India Company, right? Once again, looking at the slides, British East India Company. Um, they have a monopoly on British tea imports. That along with the Navigation Acts, we're not allowed to buy tea from anywhere else. But tea is important to the United States, uh, to the colonies. I will say that again. Tea is important to the colonies. We look at this time to the British, and the British are the example of everything that is upper class. Okay? It's like, all right, so... Um, I have to buy a new car, right? Uh, my wife tells me I have to buy a new car. She says, uh, since, I guess I could say this now, it's past the time that whatever, since, you know, she is pregnant and we're going to have a baby, she tells me my Jeep is only two doors and I can't be driving around a car seat in a two-door car. I say nay, nay, I disagree, but whatever, um, you know, happy wife, happy life, or so they say. Uh, so, you know, if I'm looking now at new cars to buy, right, you know, you have your cheaper cars and you have your, uh, which, are, you know, just if, if I'm looking at different prices, right, or, or good middle, medium level cars, right, you know, your Fords and stuff like that, Chevrolet, then you have your, your higher class, right? Uh, 
I can get a Lincoln Navigator. I don't even know if they still make those, but that's a big, big truck. It's expensive, right? I can get a, you know, a Mercedes uh, SUV or something like that. That's considered like this like standard of, you know, ooh, well-to-do, upper-class, things like that. Back then, it was the British and drinking British tea, okay? Having British things in your home. Oh, your table is from, your table and chairs are from Britain. You know, oh, your couch is from Britain. You know, ooh, wow, that's really fancy. So that's the way that it was. So, uh, you know, everybody's drinking tea. And Britain had a monopoly on tea. Their government, members of parliament, they held shares in this. It's kind of like in Congress. Imagine some congressman having shares in a particular business, right? So what this does, what TIAC does, it permits the colony to sell tea directly to the colonists without colonial middlemen. So basically what they're trying to do is shut down the shops, okay? It would be like today. If they send their tea to Amazon, Amazon directly sends it to our homes, it's not like Amazon would be selling tea to, or if it's coffee, right? Selling coffee to Starbucks and then you go to Starbucks and you buy your prepared coffee. Not the way it was going to go. They're trying to hit these small businesses back in the colonial time. Put these small businesses out of business. So that is why they consider this to be debasing. They say, oh my God, now, not only have they come here with their soldiers and their taxes and their things like that, they've also gotten to the point, right? where we are no longer allowed to have our small businesses selling prepared tea, which is something that people really, really, really enjoyed. So your tea shops, kind of like coffee shops today, were like, this is insane. How are we supposed to survive? It's not going to work out. And so they become really, really ready to fight against us, as you can read more about on the top of page five. Then we have our Boston Tea Party, where they throw the tea into the haba at Boston. Let's hear it for the Sons of Liberty of the Boston Tea Party. Yeah. Okay. So you have your Boston Tea Party. We talked about that. The response now from the British. Oh, boy. They're going to get really mad. They respond with what is called the Coercive Acts. We here in the colonies... We'll dub these as the intolerable acts. You can see just in the name there, things are changing, right? Ideas are changing, okay? Uh, these are the four different points of the intolerable acts. Um, they closed the port of Boston. That was huge. You know, it's kind of like right now, everybody is talking about how the economy is being destroyed by us being shut down. Boston was the largest city in the colonies. Uh, at this time, it was between Boston and Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, so these, you know, this was this is like you know, you're shutting down the major city of the of the colonies. What's going to happen? Um, it's going to destroy the economy. They have this government act revoked the Massachusetts Charter. Right, basically puts the uh, colony of Massachusetts under the direct control of the king. Uh, we have a new, more powerful quartering act. If you do not. Allow soldiers in your home. Your home will be taken away from you. That's it. That's it. They're like, we're not going to argue with these people. They looked at the colonists as being like subhuman, really. These are people who were, you know, lower class when they left England. They were trying to escape to find a better life. It was the first immigrants, the very, very first immigrants. How are immigrants viewed? Historically, not great. So the British, they're like, oh, these are the people who couldn't ha hack it here. 
So they went there. They're not as good as us, okay? So they look down on them as it is, okay? Moving on. Um, you know, there is a part uh, under the Intolerable Acts where it talks about the Quebec Act of 1774, okay? It says it was associated in the minds of American colonists with the Intolerable Acts in many ways an enlightened approach to governing the French population of Canada, the Quebec Act, angered Americans because it included Western territories and expanded province of Quebec and guaranteed freedom of worship to French Catholics, okay? To the American colonists, it seems as if the British were cutting them off from the West and surrounding them with their hereditary enemies. So, yeah, it kind of does, like, do a reorganization of what's happening here in, uh, in the colonies. And so they're like, hey... You know, the British colonies, you guys are our problem now, not the French anymore. And so, like, basically because of the French-Indian War, they got all that land. They now control the French-Canadians, okay? That's why the Quebec Act is that. So they're in control of the French-Canadians. And they're basically saying, hey, don't worry, guys. Our problem is not with you. Our problem is with the British colonists. And, you know, this is pretty big, right? This is huge. This is like, these are our enemies, and yet you're giving them a better deal, that's just a little something that I would add if, you know, you have time, a little higher understanding of everything that's going on here and just another way to kind of anger the colonists. Okay, First Continental Congress, back to the slides, uh, takes place in 1774, 55 delegates, 12 colonies. Their whole goal, what are we going to do about the coercive, a.k.a. intolerable acts? This is very important. It is the first time we have our colonies really working together. Before this, New York was New York, South Carolina was uh, Carolina was Carolina, Massachusetts was Massachusetts, and many of the other colonies looked at Massachusetts with the closing down of Boston. They said, "That's your problem, man. Right? You got to handle your own problem." Here, we're like, "No." We start to say, "Actually, if we do that, we're going to lose Massachusetts real fast." And if this can happen in Massachusetts, well, what the heck? It sure as heck can happen in New York. So we start to have like that first step towards a unification of the colonists. Then, of course, we're going to have uh, the Minutemen. We have our first shots that are fired in Lexington and Concord. Second Amendment, right to bear arms for a militia to protect. Really, it's against a, a government that becomes abusive. Why? In Lexington and Concord, the British were going there to take away their guns, Right? And they're like, nah, you're not going to take away our guns. Second Amendment of the Constitution, right? That's why it's so early. When things get bad, when things get really bad, that's when this desire to have a weapon is so comforting, I guess you could say, to many people. They wanted to make sure that this was going to be protected by them. We're then going to have the Second Continental Congress. They're going to meet together, okay? Uh, this is not in your book. Your book goes through the First Continental Congress. They're going to meet together. They're going to decide on something called an olive branch. Oh, I'm sorry. The uh, Second Continental Congress in Lexington Concord is on page 111, where they get more into the details of the actual revolution. Uh, Second Continental Congress, they come up with something called the olive branch petition. Extending an olive branch is something that goes back to... Um, Bible times. Uh, this is something that like, Jesus talked about. Extending an olive branch is basically asking for peace. Okay, so on page 112, it says, even as it propelled for military operations, right? So Congress, they're getting ready to fight. They made at least an, uh, uh, a last effort for peace. Olive branch petition to George III, King George III. 
asking the king to mediate happy and permanent reconciliation, reconciliation to the conflict between the colonies and the British government. Okay? King's not into it. He's like, nah, not going to happen. Um, you know, there are many different stories as to what he does with it. Some say he crumbles it up and throws away. Some say the king refuses to ever even read it. Things had gotten past that point. Um, it's kind of hard to, to say exactly what it is that's going to happen. Next up, we have Thomas Paine. He writes something called Common Sense. We're going to talk about him in just a minute in a little more detail. Common Sense, basically, it's a one-page pamphlet where he says, isn't it just common sense? We would want to be in charge of our own futures, our own history. Okay, makes sense. So uh, and then we have the Declaration of Independence, okay, which you can read a little bit more on page 112, okay? Um, and that is really basically it. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about Thomas Paine. So go to your documents, okay? Document two, you have the Virginia House of Burgess. The Virginia House of Burgess was once called by King James a seminary of sedition. I'll say that again. It's very, very important. The Virginia House of Burgess. Virginia House of Burgess was the very first um, colonial, uh, I guess like the first colonial representative body. So it was like the king didn't like it because it was basically the colonies making up their own rules. King called it a seminary of sedition. Sedition being speaking against the government. Um, you know, the, the Virginia House of Burgess was started all the way back in, I think, 1607. No, that doesn't sound right. In 1600s, early 1600s, maybe 1607. I don't know. Uh, James House, 1607. So it has to be a little bit after that. I think 1619, 1619. There we go. Okay. So it had been around for a long time. The king had always hated it. Here in document two, you have more information about that. You've got Samuel Adams. Samuel Adams is known in document three as being the leader, right? The leader of the, uh, of not a, <laughs> I was make a joke, a Donald Trump joke, but I'm not going to do it. Uh, the leader of the Sons of Liberty. So this is going to be a document where you're going to start to see that kind of a, uh, a, a movement towards wanting, wanting uh, different people to want to go to war. You know, then we have, if you, you know, you look at some of the other documents, they're going to be ideas against it, okay? Um, 1776, where's the money going to come from? Okay, this is a church minister, and he starts to say, and, and I love document six and document seven. Document six and document seven are complete opposition to one another, okay? Document six, they're like, wait, we're not going to have money to fight a war. This is a big, big, big mistake. Document seven, quite different. You have Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine, he's like, you know, this is, this actually was a quote that they made t-shirts for the people who were grading the AP test on. And it is a pretty awesome document. So I'm going to read it to you. It says, these are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will in this crisis shrink from the service of this country. What's a summer soldier? A summer soldier who's like, hey, they're willing to go out there. The weather is nice. They don't mind trucking around, right? Marching, going here, going there when it's nice out. But what about when the winter comes, right? When there's deprivation, when you do not have as much resources. So that's why they're called a summer soldier. Okay. Uh, the summer soldier in this crisis will shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. 
Tyranny like hell. Tyranny like hell. Let's hear it. Tyranny is like hell. What do you think, musicians? Yeah, tyranny is like hell. Tyranny like hell is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us. The harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph will be. So he right there is saying, yeah, no no beep. No, we know that this is going to cost money, right? But the more difficult it is to win, the better it's going to be. Okay, the better the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its good. And it would be strange, indeed, if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. Britain, with an army to enforce her tyranny, has declared that she has a right not only to tax, but to bind us in all cases whatsoever. Truly a call to arms here by Thomas Paine. You notice, you notice, Thomas Paine's common sense is not there. So could common sense be outside information? Yes, it can. Yes, it can, boys and girls. So what do you want to talk about in Thomas Paine's common sense? On page 112 in your book, a lot of information about it. Don't just say, oh, Thomas Paine, who also wrote Common Sense, uh, writes in document seven, blah, blah, blah. His point of view is blah, 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 blah. Don't do that. You have to give more detail, okay? Excuse me, drink. One of the things I've said in a lot of your essays, you gotta have a little bit more detail, right? So it's easy, it's easy, okay? Talk about how he put that out in January of 1776. He wanted to change people's minds, saying that it's just common sense. He drew upon enlightenment ideas. 500,000 copies went out about this. It would have basically reached over a third of all of the colonists, okay? You want to have information in there that people, uh, I'm sorry, that they're going, you want to have specific information in there so that you show that you know what you're talking about. In fifth grade, you learn about common sense. In seventh grade, you learn about common sense. You're in AP, US history in 11th grade. Unfortunately, you have to know a little bit more than that it was just a brochure written by some guy named Thomas Paine. Okay, we're at about 45 minutes here. I'm gonna stop. Uh, I'm going to upload all of this. So here's the deal. You have, today's Wednesday. You've got Thursday. You've got Friday to write this DBQ. Make sure you hand it in by the end of the day, Friday. I'm then going to try and grade them over the weekend so we can go start a little bit earlier next week, okay? And I'll have your grades to you and um, what we're, where we're going to basically go from there next week. Uh, I'm looking at a couple of different other DBQs to move on to. And uh, that is that. I hope you're all doing well. I'm not doing too bad. I can't really complain. I mean, you know, we'll see. We'll see. 20% budget cuts to schools. It's going to be a weird world we're going to exist in for the next few years, my friends. It's going to be a weird, weird world. But as Thomas Paine says, right, the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph will be. You know, if we just sat in our homes and we walked outside and life was renewed, we'd say, what the heck did we ever have to sit in our homes for? But truly, the more difficult that it becomes, the better it's going to feel when it's all over. So anyway, I leave you with that word of advice and some revolutionary music. Go, flute man, go.
Trevor's got to be tired too. I don't know. 